Welcome, everybody, to Night Watch Games Podcast number eight. This is a podcast that's going to focus on the current state of Night Watch Games amid COVID 19 and some of the issues that are revolving around us at this time. What I'd like to do is one, we want to do a real quick recap of the history of Night Watch Games so that there's some context about why and how we make the decisions that we're making. Then I'm going to jump into the summary of how Nightwatch Games is impacted by the COVID-19 virus and some of the decisions that we made there and how it's affecting us. Then I want to talk about the current state of the store. And then, of course, the predictable part is what is the future for Nightwatch Games? And I think this is going to be a a special episode that's got a lot of uh, interesting points that people don't know, a good look behind the scenes, probably a good look into Pork and Brenda and as humans, what it is to run Nightwatch games. Many of you know this because you've been around, but this is going to be of particular interest to those new Nightwatchers that haven't heard the stories yet. So uh, I'm going to pass the microphone over to Brenda. If you could give us a quick recount of our first inception of Nightwatch Games. Absolutely. I remember it well. Actually, I think we were sitting on a computer, each of us, in different countries. You were in Africa. I was in Germany. We were in the military. And we were talking about how perhaps the military lifestyle wasn't actually what we wanted to do after all. Uh, After eight years, we'd had a good taste of it. It certainly was a good place to be, but not where we wanted to be, not the ideal place. And as anyone who knows us knows, Pork and I chase happiness. We're always striving to make our lives better, and by virtue of that, hopefully the people around us. So we were sitting there and deciding if we got out of the Army, what would we do? And there were a lot of options for us because we're both educated, and at that time we had no debt. Of course, you all know we have no children, just the puppies, And the army was also willing to move us anywhere. When you get out, they make an offer to move you one time to anywhere in the world. So we actually toyed with the idea of going to Ireland and visit the motherland, (laughs) Um, going to Colorado and just being skiers for the rest of our lives. But we also knew we needed an income. So we talked about, for Porik, one or any of the three-letter agencies, because of course he had a top secret clearance. I was very ready and willing to go back to restaurant management. But uh, I think Porik, who knew me back then, also knew that my quality of life was trash. <laughs> As a restaurant manager, there was no time for anything but work. So we put our heads together. And uh, he always says it was my idea, but I think it was actually more his, at least that he inspired the idea to open a game store. Pork and I have, since we got married, spent most of our weekends, most of our time and our money on games. Uh, and in-game stores. And of course, Pork was a gamer long before I was. Uh, I was a worker, <laughs> so I had no hobbies. So as we sat there in different countries, uh, in different climates, in different everything, we decided to do that. Once you put me on an idea, I can't, I can't stop thinking about it. So what happened next, Pork? Well, that was 2016. And when I was very surprised by your enthusiasm to get into the gaming industry, because some of the background there, when I would take you to a gaming store, you were not very impressed with the setting, as I don't think you should have been. They were 
horrible little holes in the wall that we would play games at. And while we really loved the games and we certainly loved some of the people in those stores, there was a lot to be desired. And I remember you and I sharing that disappointment that the store owners weren't really pursuing the potential of the space that they had. So I was really surprised that you wanted to join me on this quest. And I was also very encouraged by your trust in our skills and our complementary avenues of expertise. Superpowers. Um, yeah. It, <laughs> I, I remember laying in my cot in Africa, just sort of slack-jawed, dumbfounded that uh, I had a wife that was beautiful and intelligent and just really the perfect match for me, but then to multiply that by 10 by saying that she wanted to go into a business of nerddom. I think that's a, a dream come true for many, many people. I think that's sort of the thread of the story that we're about to tell here is uh, we are extremely lucky. And some would say it's not really luck. Sometimes it's life design, the choices that you make, uh, the support structure that's around you that you've nurtured. It all comes together to build a matrix of options that you have. And uh, I don't know. I'm Irish. I, I, I guess maybe I believe in a little bit of the luck. Um, I'm Polish. <laughs> Raised well, by a Mexican-Puerto Rican family. <laughs> I'm lucky, yeah. So we've, we've really been living a great life. Uh, even in the military, as much as I poo-poo my individual experiences there, as a couple, the Army really did take care of us pretty well. We had nice houses and got to travel and did some cool things. So yeah, we started this game store adventure in 2016. And one of our, I don't want to call him competitor, but one of the people in the industry here at the local scene did an interview with us and they erroneously walked away with the idea that we had a lot of capital that we were able to use to make Nightwatch games what it was from the get-go. Brian, could you clarify exactly that rumor that yeah, we had a lot of capital? we did. We had a lot of capital that we borrowed from a bank. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get a lot of capital. You make a personal guarantee on a loan, and so hiding behind an LLC doesn't work when you have had no experience owning and operating a business in any industry. The bank's going to make you be a personal guarantor. So we put everything on the line. We put everything into the store, every penny we had, every ounce of credit that we could muster, we spent and used on the store. Every piece of furniture that we owned ended up in the store if it fit the decor, which it did, all of it. <laughs> yes, we had dragons hanging on our wall at home too, and swords and axes. We say that, and I know that a lot of our regulars have heard that part of the story before, but I sort of want to get into the nitty-gritty of some of the the real specifics of what we put into the store at the beginning. You had a savings plan from Bill Miller's. Mm -hmm. My 401k? Yeah. What was that? How much was that? 18000 18000 So you just liquidated that and went straight to the bank? Every penny, except yeah. for the taxes part. Yeah. Okay. So for all you potential game store owners out there... Be prepared to liquidate $18,000 of your savings and you don't see any immediate return for that. That's just telling the bank, hey, I'm invested in this idea and I need you to invest too. 
and $18,000 gone. Well, and it's not like it goes back to you when you're done. If you list $18,000 that you have as equity in your business, they, being the bank, expect you to spend every penny of that $18,000 on the business, and they want receipts to see how did you spend that on the business. Yeah, yeah. But they're also looking for that kind of equity to show, one, a commitment on your part that you believe in the idea so that their risk is less. 17% was what they asked. Yeah, okay. And then we, let's see, we got a bank loan, which was really difficult. Uh, That's not an easy process. And we actually had several banks turn us down, but that didn't stop, uh, certainly didn't stop Brenda. And so we found refuge in a place called the Small Business Association, And uh, I remember when we were looking for loans, I tried to pull the veteran card and go through the government. And that's another rumor. The government does not subsidize private businesses. The DOD does not help you in any way. The thing I want to emphasize here is that we believed so strongly in our vision that we were willing to put everything on the line. And because we put everything on the line, that forced us to work harder than I've seen many, many game stores ever work. Now, I don't want to make light of the gifts that we did receive. So the most notable of which being that your parents, Horik and Judy Mulgrew, let us live in their home rent-free for four years, bought our groceries, helped pay our car payment for quite some time. That's true. They did take over some car payments. they took over our our payments for a while. We're not ever asking for any big thing back, you know, didn't expect us to clean the house or anything like that. Just completely generous. It's because they have a maid. (laughs) (laughs) That was fabulous, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, they were generous in more than one way, more than just with the house. You know, if we got in a little pinch here or there, they were happy to pay off that bill or this bill. That was an amazing help. And then not just the financial help that they gave us, But the emotional help, you know, I mean, they saw us through, they were behind us every step of the way. I know your dad is a bit of a naysayer with investments and stuff, but man, he was behind us all the way, all the way. I was still stunned by that support. Mom's always been in my corner. Mm -hmm. She's always been one of the best cheerleaders I could ever have. But even her support was surprising because we're going from a super stable, structured environment of the army and then jumping out of that nest into total free fall. I was really surprised that the parents were behind that idea. I think they were probably worried about our physical health in the army. I mean, there were two wars at the time. You know, I was deployed to war zones, often Mm -hmm. in dangerous places doing dangerous things. So maybe that was a major motivator for them wanting us to do anything else. Well, and we we promised to open it in San Antonio where they lived, so. <laughs> yeah, that was the big uh, decision-making was choosing San Antonio as the place of the business and having the family there as a support mm-hmm. was, I think, a, a great portion of that decision. Yeah. Both families, by the way, are here in San Antonio and also very, very supportive. I got a ton of support from my family and my mom as well. My father's passed away, but my mother is always been a huge cheerleader for me too. While we were living with the parents and we were not paying rent and we were sort of being taken care of, we knew that we didn't want to just sit there and ride those laurels and sort of play the mental game with the company. So we did get to work 
And a little known fact is we had a thriving Etsy store. Brent, uh, tell us about Nightwatch Games on Etsy. So I have to tell you how it started, which was my favorite story from our marriage. We got married in December and Porg deployed for the first time in February because the army and I probably all the military have like a radar. As soon as you have a kid or you get engaged or you get married, they deploy you. (laughs) So just before he deployed, knowing that I was going to have a whole year, I had decided to go to school that year and not work at all. So I was going to have a lot of extra time on my hands. He taught me how to use a mold system called the Hearst Arts Mold System, where you can use plaster or a stone powder to create blocks. And with those blocks, you can build things. And what we were focused on building was miniature gaming terrain, specifically for our D&D campaign that we were eventually going to run when he got back and things settled down and we could make friends somewhere. So he showed me how to make them and I made my first piece and it was ridiculous. But he was proud of me and it was encouraging. So It was great. What are you talking about? It was funky. Anyway, so I made a little in and it was not architecturally correct in any way, but I didn't care. I, I finished it. So so he said, yes, go forth, make terrain while I'm gone. And so I did. I kept doing it and he was gone for a year. And when he got back, we had spent that whole year talking on Skype twice a day. Of course, they deployed him right after we got married. So we really didn't know each other as well as we could have before we got married. <laughs> a little bit of a shotgun wedding without the reason for the shotgun. <laughs> so we talked a lot that year and not so much about the terrain. But when he got back, he asked if I had built any more pieces. And there was a closet full of pieces that I had built. So with that, he saw an inventory that we could sell online. So we opened the Etsy shop. And it was called Nightwatch Games Productions. No, Nightwatch Productions, excuse me. Nightwatch Games Creations. That's right, yeah. Cutting Edge Creations or something like that. It was Nightwatch Productions Cutting Edge Creations. That's right. So, that's a mouthful. (laughs) So, uh, and Nightwatch came from his airsoft team. That was the name of Pork's airsoft team well before me. So, we just adopted that and went with it. My parents called our upstairs bedroom the meth lab because we had lined the whole bathroom with plastic because when you're working with plaster, uh, it sort of gets everywhere. So we didn't want to make a big mess of that, the house. So we lined everything with plastic and it, it really did look like a meth lab. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like somebody in Breaking Bad, you know, walking <laughs> around with the, the mask on. Anyway, so we did it for years and years and years. And there at the end, before we had to shut it down because we realized The physical business of Nightwatch Games was just going to take all of our time. I think our income was about $4,000 a month just making terrain. Yeah, it was pretty good. And we were shipping that stuff worldwide. I know that we had some stuff coming out of Germany, Holland, Sweden, Spain. Spain, uh, All over the U.S., even Hawaii, Puerto Rico. Yeah, Yeah, it was... It was pretty cool. We had a little following. And actually, we still have some of the friends from that business follow us into Facebook land in Nightwatch Games. So cool story, as we were setting up Nightwatch Games, and we were making accounts with all the different distributors and game makers, I called up Games Workshop. And I said, hey, I'm looking to make an account. We're opening up a new store. They said, we'll have somebody give you a call back when we pick your account rep. So a guy named Cameron called us back 
And he said, I'm so excited. We did a little lottery to see who was going to get to be your account manager. And I won. And I was so dumbfounded because how do they even know about us? Why would they be fighting over us? We're just nobodies in the industry right now. And he said it was because that at Games Workshop, they allow their employees to play D&D or any kind of game once a week. And they, this particular rep, had bought some of our gaming terrain from Nightwatch Games Production, and they used it every week in their game. So when he found out we were opening a store, he actually knew we were opening a store well before we even called Games Workshop. And so he was very excited to get to be our rep, and that was a little bit mind-blowing. So when we opened up the store there, we had... 3,400 square feet that we had to decorate. And while the vision of what that was going to look like was very clear in our head, the implication of practically doing it was way above something that just Brenda and I could do. So one of the cool memories that I have is putting out a Facebook notice asking for people for help if they wanted to be involved in building a new game store. And we got a surprising result from that. About 40 people, 40 strangers came out to hammer nails, sand wood, stain wood, clean up, assemble chandeliers, assemble chairs, help us build tables. We were lucky in that uh, a couple of those people were actually very bona fide craftsmen and woodworkers. So they brought out sawhorses and power tools and they knew how to use a measuring tape and how to build things. So we quickly found ourselves in good hands But they were long days, several cuts, several splinters, several stained fingers. But we ended up having a great team of people that built the inside of the store. And we tried to commemorate their efforts by small plaques that you can see on the back of our chairs, where we mention them by name and we allude to the skills that they brought to the table. And we also gave them a fictitious title. So those are sometimes fun to read. If you ever look on the back of the chairs, you'll see some interesting people with interesting names and interesting titles. So a lot of our store is homemade. It's roughly crafted, rustic, which is sort of a design idea for the feel of the place, but it also gives you a lot of creative freedom so that you don't have to be too precise with uh, your construction. So for those people that are wanting to build your own store, find a theme that gives you some creative leeway with your abilities. And if you choose to do something like the Death Star, I'm here to tell you that's very difficult because the Death Star is squared away. There are no mistakes inside it other than that porthole. (laughs) (laughs) But... It's very difficult to do science fiction because it looks so clean and well done. So you could do the destroyed Death Star. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah, (laughs) That's that's a little more forgiving. (laughs) Yeah, a bunch of detritus everywhere. So anyway, think of themes that give you some leeway with your creative energies and your abilities. There's a couple of stores here in town that have some potentials to do some really cool themes. And I have to admit, I'm kind of surprised that they don't really follow through with that. I don't think the argument that they don't have money is legitimate because you can do a heck of a lot of things for very cheap. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of do-it-yourself channels on YouTube and budget construction tips and tricks. And I don't know. Oh, we worry about us. uh, I think (laughs) it's just disappointing because the whole industry needs to be elevated. 
And I think a themed gaming space does a lot for customers. The rest of the store was really just things that we previously owned and we brought into brought into the space, which did some very interesting things for what Nightwatch games came to be. One, it made it feel like home to me because I was looking around at possessions that I already owned. They were already associated with my game room. So the whole store was just an extension of my house. It was a cost saver. That was another thing. And you could put that into the bank loan as equity that we're injecting. So that helped in that regard. But it also infused a sense of home to the customer because they could tell that that was furniture. That wasn't slapboard or pegboard or displays that are made specifically for retail. Yeah, or Walmart plastic tables and plastic chairs. It was furniture. And uh, accompanied with the subdued lighting of the place, it really gave a whole different mood to a gaming slash retail space that many people had not experienced before. And I have to admit, there's several people that did not warm up to our lighting scheme. They just thought it was too dim. They really wanted a brighter space. But that always seemed to be the minority. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that Uh, I know I stuck with my guns. I was being challenged several times by the lighting issues of the store. I tried to defend it by thinking that the mood was more important than brightness. I don't know. Do you you think we made the right choice there? I do, 100%. And I was one of the naysayers in the beginning. I was really concerned about that because when you come in from the outside, it feels dark in there, but your eyes naturally adjust and within just a few minutes – uh, you can read a magic card across the table. You can see, you can play Tiny Epic anything in that store. So that's that's a good that's sign. That's a litmus test? Yes. If you can play a Tiny Epic game in a store, it's not too dark. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of choices that went into building up Nightwatch games the way it is now. And I think that we have evaluated and thought out and made a whole decision branch of everything that we've done in the store. And one of the things that's kind of interesting is when a customer says, hey, what you should do is, and they give you an option of what they would like to see done, that's something that we've thought of already. I don't think anybody's told me something that we didn't think about and evaluate, and we chose not to do it for a lot of different reasons, But we really did think this whole thing out. It had to be a critical-minded approach to the business, not only because of what the customers would want, but because we had a bank saying, you have to succeed or you're living in a cardboard box for the next 10 years. So we really thought it out. It's either that or club fed. (laughs) Neither of those were a good option. (laughs) We could talk a long, long time about how Nightwatch came to be and the decisions that we made for any particular thing. The real takeaway, though, is that we were solely invested. It became everything that we did. We worked there 12 to 14 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. And that was before we had a a staff. We had Manny. We had Manny from the get-go. Yeah, He was actually building terrain with us back at the house I am sure he had no idea what he was getting himself into. (laughs) Absolutely no idea. He just knew that he was commissioned to paint some terrain. Yeah. 
it was an improvement from his current job and that was all that mattered. Yeah. And he's been with us now for five years. Uh, the company's been open for four. Mm-hmm. So he was ahead of the curve there. And he's now a huge pillar to not only us as the owners, he's our manager, but he's now a pillar to the customer base. And he knows more about the products and Nightwatch games than I do. Yeah. I'm sort of out of touch anymore. I always tease him that since we have no kids, if we ever go out as a couple, like in a car wreck or something, he's going to get Nightwatch games. He's going to get it? Is that in the will? (laughs) It's in the will because we don't have any kids. That's true. (laughs) There might be some people that want to vie for that position. (laughs) He could handle it. So yeah, there's a whole history behind Nightwatch games and where we came from. We try to celebrate our yearly acknowledgements and achievements with a anniversary banquet, which has sadly been delayed for this year, or not even delayed, it's been canceled Canceled. due to the pandemic. But it's a huge event in which we sell tickets for people, they have to dress up, and they come in and we convert the whole store into a big banquet hall. It's full of food, the table dressings are all done by Brenda, everything's very medieval and flair, there's metal plates and wooden chargers and goblets and chalices and wrought iron utensils. So you really feel like you're in a different time and place having this huge banquet. But we also bring in entertainment. We have the Turkish band that comes in with a belly dancer. We had a contortionist. A juggler. A juggler. We had somebody doing medieval magic tricks. Yeah. We had a troop come in and do a medieval D&D themed skit which was a big hit thanks Bear Stage you guys are definitely a staple Eye of the Beholder is I think the name of their show yeah so and I can't recall if you mentioned this but of course costumes are mandatory for the staff for the guests so everybody is in this medieval setting in medieval costumes using medieval utensils and eating medieval food and so it's Immersive, to say the least. Here's one of my best memories of a past anniversary banquet (laughs) is when you buy a ticket, you have four options. You have the noble's table, which gives you the best food, the best seating, the best utensils. You're getting caviar and shrimp and lobster and steak, and you're just getting everything. It's awesome. It's it's sort of a $100 ticket. And we're very surprised that they sell out as fast as they do, but it's a premier sitting space. Next to the Nobles ticket, we have the Lords and Ladies, which is just a step down. You still get excellent food and utensils and everything. You just get a little bit less of it. Next to that is the Gentry. That would probably be your medium valued food. Uh, You're still using utensils, but they are not as silver plated. They're probably like wrought iron or whatever. You have a wooden goblet instead of a silver one. And then the last is the commoners the commoners yeah. i was about to say peasants um <laughs> yeah but the commoners sitting and that's the cheapest ticket and we emphasize that sitting by you do not get utensils you really have to eat everything that we serve with your hands of course we try to accommodate that by giving food that is edible by hands but one of the years the servers had mashed potatoes and they went down to the commoner section and the guy scooped up a dollop of mashed potatoes and he flung it 
at the commoners. Uh, the, well, it was it was at his plate, but he missed the plate and it landed right onto the tabletop. Gross. And he didn't blink an eye. He was totally in the role of being a server and he was serving commoners. So he dolloped it right onto the tabletop and he turned around and walked away as if nothing was wrong. And without blinking an eye, our customer, it was Wes. Wes just took a big scoop of that <laughs> potato right off of the tabletop and ate it like if it was his plate. Way and, to stay in character, Wes. Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> it was just, it was the greatest thematic moment that I'll probably ever yeah, remember. Good times. Looking forward to next year. Good times. Yeah. So uh, the segue here is that because of COVID-19, we've had to cancel this year's anniversary banquet, which uh, really is a bummer for us. We had some big plans for it, but we just didn't have the ability to coordinate with entertainers. You know, they were on furlough. We couldn't get catering. All that stuff was shut down. So we really had to push it off. And we don't want to do a mediocre anniversary banquet. That would probably be more depressing than anything. Well, and you have to have a mask down to eat and it's an eating gathering. Yeah. And that would just be dangerous. Yeah, we couldn't force mask no. wearing at all. No. There'd be a bunch of plague doctors everywhere. <laughs> so, question is how is Nightwatch Games impacted by COVID-19? The first thing is we we had to furlough all our employees. Mm-hmm. And at the time we had four. Yes. And when you furlough your employees, what that really means is you have to let them go. They're not allowed to work in the store. And because they're not working, they're not getting paid. So it's almost like they're being fired without being fired. Which normally is not okay. Um, to my understanding, if you're a person that is being told, uh, just go home and we're not going to have you working right now, but we're also not going to pay you, you can actually go to the unemployment office and take issue with that. But because of the situation and the government knowing that they had to help everybody, it was a decision we had to make. Do we go ahead and sign off on unemployment or do we furlough and hope that the government recognizes the furlough as equally fine as the unemployment. And we didn't know in the beginning, and neither did they, I think. They were just sort of shooting in the dark about what to do. But we left it up to the employees. And one of the employees chose to take unemployment, and the other one said furlough would be fine. And so that was the decision process. We let the employees make the decision. And of course, it all worked out well, because as Pork said in the very beginning, because I was stressing, and he's sort of our, our rock. <laughs> I'm Irish. I love you. <laughs> he said, one of two things is going to happen. Either the government is going to bail us all out and we'll go back to normal as much as possible, or this is going to become a survival situation. And then it won't matter if our board game store gets closed because we're just going to be surviving. We're going to be running around like Mad Max and uh, we're going to be glad we have all these swords. And, <laughs> you know, so he said... So it's it's either way, the game store is going, whatever is going to happen is going to happen, but don't worry about it, in other words, because it's probably just going to come down to time and them bailing us out. And of course, that is exactly what happened. Now, the approach that we took to that was very aggressive. It was 
first and foremost, educating ourselves, reading every email. And if you're a person that was reading your email at that time, you know that every single day you got an email from somebody else in your life saying, here are the resources available to you. And it was a little overwhelming and a little frustrating. And the applications were changing on a daily basis, but we did it. We read every email, followed the changes when the forms got changed. And we realized that the old form that we had filled out was now obsolete. We had to fill out a new form. And so between all of those applications, we came out on top. List some of the applications that you had to fill out. Well, I want to I want to make sure not to skip over the very first thing that we did. On March 23rd, when the mandate came out saying that we had to close our doors, at the time, it was a little vague. We thought we could keep the employees there, so we just put everybody to work, cleaning the store, doing projects, repainting terrain, and then just a week later, they made it more clear that in actuality, nobody was allowed to be in the store at all. And so that was... That was the time of essential employees versus non-essential employees. It was actually more of a time of essential businesses yeah. versus non-essential. But it was left to us to figure out, are we essential? Are we non-essential? Of course, all of our customers would say that we were essential, but <laughs> at, at our heart, we knew that we were a non-essential business. However, it made no sense that you and I, who go home every night together and sleep in the same bed, could not be inside of our store trying to function and run our business Mm -hmm. in in some other capacity. And I hadn't really imagined what that would be yet. But uh, of course, curbside came to mind right away. But okay, so- True mom and pop approach. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So March 23rd, locked the doors. A week later, had to send the employees home, talked about furlough versus unemployment. And then- we decided to start a GoFundMe oh, yeah, because right, at this right. point, there were no applications to even fill out yet. I think that's when we were sort of semi-panicking. We, about- we freaked out a bit. Yeah. Because I, you know, I looked at the account and I said, so far, the landlords haven't said that they're going to give us any kind of a break and rent's due in a week and we don't have it. So we did the GoFundMe for $5,000, which our customers exceeded. Should we divulge our rent to give some context. I'm not ashamed. <laughs> Nightwatch Games has to pay $7,000 a month. Just under, rent. but yeah. So that will sort of put into context when we asked for $5,000 Five. for the GoFundMe, that doesn't even cover rent. Right. And I remember asking, Brenda asked me, how much should we put for the goal of the GoFundMe? I thought, well, $5,000 is a lot of money. That's a lot of money for the community to fork up without getting something in return uh, immediately. And that felt like a lot of money to me. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not. It's nothing. It's not a lot of money. We hate asking for help. We do hate it. We want to be the ones that did this all without help. But the truth is, you help us every day when you come in our store, when you patronize our store, when you come in and, and say hi and play at our tables. So... We can't do it without you. And we realized that. Yep. And you are the customers. Yep, so yep. we did the GoFundMe for a large portion of the rent that we were worried that we would not be able to cover. And within just a couple of days, you met it and exceeded that. So yep. we made an update to the GoFundMe saying that anything past $5,000, we would issue an equal denominations to our employees, which we did. Yeah. And then we closed the GoFundMe. 
by that time, we had started applying for the loans and the grants and everything else we could get our hands on. So we knew we weren't going to have to sort of beg anymore. So we closed that down. Well, before we continue, I, I do want to do a sincere shout out to everybody that donated to the GoFundMe. We saw a lot of familiar names there. And it was heartwarming to see that our supporters were still behind us, even when they were being stressed financially on their end. And then we also saw some names that we didn't recognize from people that had either come into the store once and they didn't even live in Texas and they were still willing to donate to Nightwatch Games Mm -hmm. to some far off friends that are, again, aren't local, but they wanted to to help out when they could. Uh, There was just an amazing amount of generosity. Some of the well-known game manufacturers out there whose games we carry. Yeah, that's right. Put forth. Uh, That was a real surprise and uh, just a real blessing. Yeah. It's super encouraging to get that kind of financial support, not only because of the practical financial power of the dollar, but it shows that you believe in the dream that we believe in. And that bond of a community just gets that much stronger. And I know it sounds super sappy, but... That's us. <laughs> it, it, Yeah, well, <laughs> when it comes down to it, when your dream is being supported by people and they're making sacrifices to make it come true, it's a really powerful emotional structure that uh, really is encouraging. It keeps us going. It keeps us working hard. And we really try to make it worth your time that Nightwatch Games uh, is in existence. So and this isn't sharing. the first time that our customers have sacrificed. No, no, and it's come not the forward. first time. It's, it's a yeah. trend now. It is a trend. Yeah, it's and we could go into all of that. But. Super profound. So to answer your question, the things that we did apply for that we got were the Bear County Lift Fund. And on that note, I did a recent, I was invited to be on a panel related to that grant that we received uh, with two other female business owners. And it was in association with the Women's Business Association here in town. And that went really well and will be aired soon. So, but that was a $5,000 free money. Here you go. There's your help. Yeah. So it was a grant. Yeah. We also did apply to the city of San Antonio neighborhood and housing services. They were offering a grant for one month's rent, whatever your rent might be. And we applied for that and got that as well. We applied for the traditional SBA loan, which was uh, the disaster loan, which was huge and can be paid back at just a nominal percentage rate over 30 years. The rate was better than a house loan. (laughs) It was 1%. No, I'm sorry. It was 3.75% over 30 years, which was enough to pay off every cent of debt that the company owed to anybody, including the bank, as well as our own personal credit card debt that we still had from the opening of the business. Yeah, You know, we still had old credit card debt that we were paying just enormous interest rates on. So wiped clean all in one shot by that loan. And of course, now our outgo we're paying toward debt is now down to one payment of $900 a month. Yeah. So major improvement. So again, to put this in context, the operating cost for Nightwatch Games 
is about sixty to seventy thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. That's how much Brendan and I spend just to make Nightwatch games work on a monthly basis. Yeah, and so when some people hear that we are a million dollar generating revenue company. That's not money that's going into the pocket. That's money that's going to operating the the business. That's cute. (laughs) Yeah. So the margin of profit is very, very small. So Brenda and I, we we really were not making money whatsoever. We were just existing. Yeah. It's funny when people say, well, now I'm looking to open a game store because, you know, you guys inspired me. What do I need to do? I said, well, have no debt and be able to live with no income for maybe three years. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So while the company was doing really well, Brenda and I certainly did not. We were living on credit cards. <laughs> yeah, we did not get rich by doing this. So the SBA economic disaster loan, that was able to pay off all that debt. So now on a monthly basis, the profits of Nightwatch Games are literally profit. Profits. For the first time in four years, yeah. we're actually going to be able to enjoy the profit of the company. And if you know us at all, you know that we're going to stick that profit right back into the company. And we're going to talk about that a little later in the podcast about what we're doing to improve everything about the store. Before we move on from the SBA, I want to say to all of uh, you business owners out there that maybe didn't apply for it yet because you think the money ran out or you didn't think you'd get it or whatever reason you haven't applied, new funding has been added for that. And (laughs) fortunately for you, The application process is now an online application that you can fill out in about five minutes. The original application was 42 pages long. It had to be filled out by hand. You had to send in, mail in supporting documentation that weighed about a pound when you got it all together, which we did. We did that initial initial application. So you're going to get a lot easier application process now. So please don't say you're not going to apply because of some reason that you think exists, give it a shot. It changed our lives. Yeah. So Yeah, it was a huge opportunity. And I'm glad that my first scenario was the one that played out yeah. and where the government was able to subsidize a lot of the business owners. Right. But the story on the street is that we are sort of exceptional in that regard and that there's a lot of well, not just game stores, but small businesses that are really being hit hard by the pandemic. So I I think it's because they're not applying. Well, they're either not applying or like they said, you know, they didn't think they'd get it. One personal story that I've heard from somebody that I know very well is that they were delinquent with the IRS and were declined because of that. Uh, So the moral of that story, of course, is keep your nose clean, keep your business, pay your taxes, because someday you're going to need something from them. And if you owe them money, they're not going to give it up. Yeah. So uh, running an upstanding business with integrity is essential. (laughs) Yeah. So the next one was, of course, the PPP loan, which came around by the CARE Act that Congress passed. And that is a loan that was meant to be used to pay off the employee wages that were not earned while they were furloughed. And uh, that includes the owners as well, depending on how you, it's changed a lot. So in the beginning, if you were paying yourself through member disbursements, you weren't eligible, you had to be in payroll. So a lot of things have changed, but ultimately the final situation is that 24 weeks worth of 
payroll is now eligible to be completely forgiven if you receive the PPP loan. So in the beginning, it was like eight weeks. And you're thinking, okay, what's the point? That's going to give me $4,000. Well, the point is it's now changed. And every day it's changing for the better saying, okay, so we got $30,000 from the PPP. At the time we were told we could start paying it back in a year that we had five years to pay it off, I believe. And it was going to be paid back at a percentage rate of 1%. But now with all the changes, the entire $30,000 is completely forgivable, meaning we get to keep it. So obviously we paid our employees everything that they were owed and a little extra. We gave our employees raises. We paid ourselves back for the income that we weren't collecting at all during that whole two months. And then there was a little left over, but it's all eligible to be forgiven. So definitely apply for the PPP loan. If your bank is small and giving you a hard time, uh, you don't have to change banks, but walk into a larger bank, walk into Chase Bank, walk into Frost Bank. Our bank, Jefferson Bank, did a fantastic job getting the PPP loan for us, considering the fact that they had to learn new laws. They were bankers before this, and now they're lenders. Mm -hmm. So all your CPAs had to learn new protocol. All your lenders had to learn new stuff. So yes, it was frustrating, and there were a lot of hiccups and bumps, and we didn't make the first round of PPP funding, but you don't give up. You know, you just go back and you keep trying. Then there was, of course, the VA loan. So we had applied several times in the past to cash in our VA loan. And Always in the past, our debt to income ratio was not good enough to get us approved. But it was now because we used the SBA loan to pay off all of the debt. And all of a sudden now our VA loan, they are knocking at our door saying, hey, this would be a great time for you to buy a house. <laughs> and since none of the PPP funds or the SBA federal funds can be used to move your home or your business, we had to do it where there was no money down and where the sellers were paying all of the closing costs. So we literally are getting into a very, very beautiful 1900 square foot home with no money down. So <laughs> that's the big circle there is we get to leave the parents' house and we've been living in a small apartment for the last year or so, but now we're proud owners of our own house Yay. at the age of... 50. <laughs> 46 and 50. We yeah. finally have our own house. Yeah. Keep striving. You'll get there. You will get One there. Day. And then finally, and I would like to just give a huge thanks to our landlord, Invest on Realty. They did two really wonderful things for all of the tenants in the center and probably all of their tenants citywide because they own more than one uh, shopping center. And that is that immediately they gave us a huge reduction in our rent. It was thousands of dollars just free off of our rent. And then the very next month, they gave us the opportunity to extend our lease in exchange for amortizing the entire month of rent over all the following rents in that lease. So not only did we get to lock in our lease for a whole nother year with no price increase, we didn't have to pay rent that month, which was another huge load off. And it raised our actual rent pennies, really, over the entire lease, like 50 bucks a month. And the good news for you is that means that we are guaranteed to be in the same spot for at least one more year. Yeah. And of course, you know, when our lease is up, it is, we have a, what's called a right to renew. And it is our intention to renew our lease there 
So Nightwatch Games is not going anywhere or moving for a really long time. So go ahead and move closer to us because that's where <laughs> we're going to be because we know y'all want to just live closer to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was a lot of hard work and a yeah. lot of um, benefits for, and of course we got our stimulus checks that yeah, hopefully you right. all got as well. And if you didn't get it, Get your CPA to help you out. And if you don't have a CPA, get one. We recommend yeah. Burt Krause. He's amazing. So that's all the help that came from the outside. But we didn't sit back hoping that the government was going to sort of get us out of this problem. As you know, Brenda is very far forward leaning person and she's not going to sit and be a victim for anything. So she started instigating the online store and I personally was not a big fan of online because I think that a lot of what Nightwatch Games is is a, a personal face-to-face -face interaction. Uh, there's a shopping experience. There's a gaming experience. But those are things that you have to do face-to-face. -face. Uh, so I was sort of reluctant to <laughs> extend Nightwatch Games into the online arena. I think that place is kind of dominated by... Amazon and some online stores. And I just didn't want to compete there. But what I didn't take into account is the profound loyalty that some of our customers have for us and that they were willing to shop with us online, even at normal MSRP prices when they had other options to us. Yeah. So Brent, walk us through the process of taking Nightwatch Games into the online arena. So it was coupled with curbside. It was really happening at the same time. This was sort of decided by the day that we had to let the employees go furloughed and unemployed. So you and I kept coming to the store because we didn't want to abandon our location. And certainly keeping busy is the best way to get through a crisis. So uh, I think you got a new video game. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I stuck my head in the sand. A little bit, a little just bit. Just played some Call of Duty. We just uh, handle things differently, and that was your way to handle it. And my way was to call the mayor's office every 30 minutes until they told me what I wanted to hear. <laughs> so, yeah, after three days of calling the mayor's office, I finally got them to agree in writing that we could, in fact, be in our store as the owners, that we were allowed to try to gain business. And the two ways that we could do that was by creating an online store and allowing people to come pick up or ship. And then also offering curbside where people could walk up or call the store and say, do you have this? Yes, I'll be right there. And we could use technology to check out at the curb. So we put both of those things into play right away. And initially our online store was so janky. <laughs> it was, it was pretty bad. so horrible. Yeah. So we went through a few different platforms before we landed on the right one. And then it took, honestly, we just finally, I think last week, stopped putting pictures up because we have over 10,000 items in our store. So for a long while, our customers were shopping with no descriptions, no pictures. They just had to know what they wanted and find it on the web and then check out there. A lot of people were just kind of walking up and knocking on the door and saying, can you just bring me four different colors of brown and I'll Paints. choose it. Yep. And so, I mean, I was like, <laughs> I had a cart and I was like rolling it around and I was using our little baskets at the front to go shop for people. And there was no break. Yeah, We were there seven we were days a week from, we would get there at like nine in the morning 
and be there till about midnight. And, you know, Pork asked me at one time, he said, you know, we don't have to be here. Like, if you were ever going to just take a week off and go hiking and go see the hill country or whatever, which is one of my passions, he said, this is it. I said, no, this is not the time to go hiking. <laughs> no, yeah. no, this is the actual opposite time to just sit back and sit on our hands and be victims. We need to work and we need to work hard right now. Yeah, yeah. And so we did. We did. did. I just dragged him into it and... <laughs> We sold a lot of paints. I think that's what a lot of our customers did was get our painting projects done. Yeah, that was one of the first things we sort of put out there was hashtag no more excuses. <laughs> yeah, you must have your stuff painted. Yeah, and trying very hard to be positive without making light of a very tragic situation, which is difficult. And I'm I'm really glad to have the guidance and the wisdom, for lack of a better word, of my husband, because... I try to make light of things and make joke of things to make it better. And he really guided me away from that. And I'm glad he did. Like reverse. You would think that I was the joker, the the silly guy. Mm -hmm. That I think there was a time in my life I would have been the silly guy, but decorum, Mm -hmm. as my dad would say. Yeah. Well, Uh, Porik is (laughs) an empath. He is one of the more sensitive, empathetic people you will ever meet. And so he was instantly empathizing with all of those people who were either in the hospital with the virus or had a loved one in the hospital. And they don't want to hear jokes about the virus. They don't want to hear that we're barbecuing COVID or whatever, you know. So it just was not the appropriate time. So we've tried to maintain integrity and appropriateness throughout this whole pandemic. So that was one of the things, though, is that we we did go ahead and say, you know, hashtag no more excuses. It's time to start painting. And I will say that Games Workshop Citadel Paints were the number one item for which people were willing to risk their health <laughs> and go out and shop. Yeah. And so we did a lot of Citadel Paints by curbside. Uh, the Reaper stuff, too. Was oh, yeah, definitely out. Reaper. Yeah, I mean, so. a lot of board games, people trying to find ways to stay busy at home. So because of curbside, we were able to get half of our normal income. Now, that may, you know, be like a glass half empty, glass half full. That was a glass half full to us. Half is better than nothing. And half got us through. Yeah. It did. It got us through. And then the next month, also half. But by that time, we were also receiving the funds from the applications and the grants and the loans. One of the things that I think Curbside did, which is vital for businesses like ours, and hopefully all our competitors are listening to the podcast and they can maybe learn a thing here, and that is you have to stay relevant to your customer base. You have to be involved with them and they have to be involved with you. If you hold up your store and you go black on communications and you're not active in social media... Your customer base is going to move on. They are not going to wallow around on a sinking ship that's not doing anything. They want to be with a program that is fighting for survival and is as active and is being progressive about the way forward. Mm -hmm. And curbside was our way of doing that. And it was like, we still want to be relevant to you. We still want to be involved in your life. We still want to be able to say hello and to be a piece of your happiness. That's part of our mission is we want to solve problems. And when people are 
in quarantine and they're getting frustrated and they're being driven a little bat crazy. We want to be part of the solution of that sanity. Mm-hmm. And our curbside program did that. Yeah. And I know that some of our competitors chose not to. You know, I hate to be hard on anyone in our own industry or certainly in our city, but when after three days we got the official okay from the mayor's office, we could have kept that to ourselves, right? We could didn't. Have. We shared it with every single game store owner in this city and said, get to work, get your store open from the inside. You can go in, you can do curbside, you can do an online store. What they did with that, I don't know. But well, we were so <laughs> funny and true. I guess some of them didn't believe us and thought that we were just trying to milk the situation and actually called the cops on us for running curbside illegally. But of course it wasn't illegal. And it just took the city a hot minute to announce that it wasn't illegal. That we it had actually Nelson was... Wolf on speed dial. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. We, we basically called up the mayor and handed <laughs> the phone over to the policeman and said, you talk to him. You talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Pork affectionately calls me Bulldog Brenda, but it's a little bit true. But the undercover police officer apparently came. We don't know who it was. And we would not let him in. And we were wearing masks and asked he or she to put on a mask, gave him information, but asked him to stand back, social distancing and all that. So we were not cited. And one of our customers pointed out that we were on the San Antonio ticker for being uh, visited, but not cited. Yeah. yeah. So vindication. Well, it comes down to that thing. Just do it right. Do it above board, but don't be a victim. Mm -hmm. You know, be in charge of your own destiny and do it the right way. It's... It's tough. It's not easy. The easy way is the wrong way. And we have a couple of past store owners that did do it the wrong way. And they failed because it catches up to you. It does catch up to you. Yep. It never stops being hard work. No, it's always hard work. I want to do a shout out to one of our supporters that has been with us even before we opened the store. And he's not even local, he and his wife. We are continually stunned by the support that comes from Sean. He lives up in Pennsylvania and we met in the army. And even then that was sort of a passing relationship. We played magic a couple of times in a coffee shop. Actually, we invited him over for our go away party. Mm -hmm. I think it would have grown into a much stronger friendship had we been in the same city again for yeah we well we pcs right after we met him Mm -hmm. Uh, but he and his wife have been very staunch supporters of the night watch dream since the get-go and he's always supporting us on social media also helped us with the gofundme and it's actually his idea for us to get back on the podcast program and get this going so anyway this one's for you sean we think about you often we really wish you would move down here Yeah, get down here already. Yeah. Um, (laughs) We've actually got a job for you. (laughs) That's true, too. Yeah, we do do have a job. (laughs) Anyway, thumbs up, Sean. Thinking about you. So where are we now? We're in a great place. We sometimes feel guilty about that because the world is a crazy place right now. The U.S. is in turmoil. The socio-political climate is just rocking in a bad way. The economics of small business are really challenged. And you guys on a personal level are 
put out. You know, the quarantine is just almost back into effect. Mandatory mask wearing mm-hmm. and social distancing, all that stuff is very taxing. It's very difficult to live in those situations for a long time because we're not geared towards it. There's nothing in society that lends itself to that kind of existence. We sometimes really feel guilty about saying that Nightwatch Games is in the best shape it's been in since its inception. The only thing that we could say is that's due to the support from the community and the hard work of us Mm -hmm. and our employees. And between those two factors, uh, I think there's no stopping what Nightwatch Games is going to be. So for those of you that were worried out there, Nightwatch Games is doing great. We are going to be around for a long, long time. We have big plans for the future, and we are staged to achieve those ideas. We have opted not to host any organized play yet, only because we feel that once we do, the turnout is going to be huge. And that goes against the safety of our customers. So we are not going to host anything organized until further notice, really. Yeah. Yeah. And we really do appreciate those customers that are complying with that policy. We totally understand how uncomfortable the masks can get. uh, But uh, priorities. Yeah. And without going too deeply into it, we are sanitizing always, all day long, sanitizing where people have touched, where people have sat. So that's something we're doing as well. So that's the current states regarding what customers are doing. We've taken this time to renovate the Star Wars room. We built some custom tables. Gary Finley and Kevin Finley have done some amazing work with some tables with my design. We've made a glass top LED infused lighting. It sort of looks like a computer digital readout. It's kind of cool. I I have to admit, I'm pretty impressed with the the results. It was clear in my head what it was going to look like, but I'm super happy with how it came out. Mm -hmm. They also built a new board game library for us so that we could... uh, Oh, the shelving. It made it sound like you built the whole library. Exactly. They did. They They built a whole (laughs) library. They built the library (laughs) shelf for us, which is gorgeous and matches all of the other shelves. You may not know this, but they are also Kevin and... Gary, Gary specifically, uh, and his business are the ones that built our new shelves that we put in about three months ago. Uh, I or think longer. It's longer than that. Um, six now. So with that, we have our board game library now in a much more accessible place, not near where customers play as much. And then uh, they also put a. Well, I'll let Pork tell tell about the bunker. So we had our office and it had a ratty old couch. Uh, I was kind of attached to the couch because uh, I would often take naps on it and it was super comfortable, but Brenda was just sick and tired of the, it was really falling apart. Every time I'd come off the couch, I had pieces of couch on me. So it was time to get rid of the couch. And the question was what to do with the office without a couch. And then it's just the luck of my life. That's when the pandemic hit and it caused this upheaval of the business and it gave us the opportunity to renovate what the office is. And so I talked with Gary Finley about building a a ceiling. Well, actually, it's a false ceiling loft that really makes that office into a two-story room. And 
On the upper floor is where we put a mattress and a bed and we line the room with LED lights and there's an Alexa unit up there <laughs> and it also serves as some storage for organized gameplay. But it's a nice, dark, secluded place to take a nap. And then the bottom part of the room, which we're now calling the bunker, the command bunker, is got a display of my airsoft weapons and camouflage netting. And we have two computer terminals. Both of them have three monitors. So it really looks like we're in some kind of command center. <laughs> it's where all the top secret stuff is. It's all happens. the top secret squirrel stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's our command bunker. <laughs> that's our war room. So for the first time, Brenda and I can both work in tandem. She's got her own station. I've got my station, which really multiplies our output because one, we can collaborate at the same time, but we can work on different projects at the same time. So that's a real upgrade on the infrastructure of what Nightwatch Games is. I've seen a real increase in our communication. <laughs> we did address one of the darker areas of the store was the nobles table. We did install some track lighting and put some spotlights for those two tables. So for those of you that were frustrated with the darkness of the nobles table, light be shining. Yep, and all of our terrain has a new fresh coat of paint on it, so... No more spots where you can see styrofoam in the hills and the ruins and stuff. Everything's been uh, upgraded, updated, and refinished. Welcome back. We're going to talk about the future plans for Nightwatch Games. And what does the future look like? So the immediate future looks pretty steady. Um, our plans to expand into the adjacent business are sort of always there, and whenever they're ready, we're ready. I'm aware that the people who run Silvia Carnavale just renewed their lease for a couple of years, so there won't be any physical expansion of our footprint for at least a couple of years. Okay. I know that we've oscillated back and forth on expanding into that space and what we're going to do with it, but obviously Sylvia has plans that are... Uh, going to cause this pause. Let's talk about Gamma for a second. Sure. Because it's related to the current political issues, the social issues of the time. First, for the people that don't know, why don't you tell them what Gamma is? Okay, Gamma is the Gaming and Manufacturers Association. It's the political governing body that's supposed to represent the interests of Gamers, retailers, manufacturers, game designers, and it's supposed to be that governing body that represents their interests to the world outside, including governments. Some of the things that they've addressed are the tariffs coming out of China and how it impacts the industry. They're also the governing body that's supposed to represent us when it comes to legislation and policies and all that comes to light when we have a movement like Black Lives Matter. Uh, Gamma was supposed to be that organization that represents us in regards to the legislation and policies about Black Lives Matter. Anyway, there's a bunch of turmoil there. Some people are critiquing them for not acting fast enough or not giving voice fast enough and not being unified with Black Lives Matter movement and they're 
their silence has been interpreted as being either a weakness or complicity. Is that the right word? Mm -hmm. Complicity? I don't think that's either the case. Complacency. Complacency, either, yeah. I think Gamma is a organization, it's run by a panel, and those tend to be very slow in their actions because you're trying to be as democratic as possible. However, there is a lot of credit to the fact that there is time to give voice, there's time to act, and those those times were passed. They were passed up. So Gamma is under fire at the moment. They're trying to recoup their standing as a political body and as a representative of gamers and manufacturers and designers. But there's a lot of angry voices that we should listen to. I think it's the time to listen and to learn and to make things better than they have been. Uh, There's no excuse for letting the status quo continue. And Gamma is at the center of all that. So there's sort of a question mark about Nightwatch Games and the involvement in Gamma. How involved do we want to get? There, There were times when I was sort of fantasizing about Brenda being on the board of directors for Gamma because she would certainly make things happen. I love how Pork fantasizes about me working more. Yeah. yeah Not yeah. him, me. It's like an army officer with my clipboard and coffee. I, I just delegate everything. But I, I don't know if that's going to be the case anymore because uh, Gamma hasn't really presented itself as being the strong body that we would want to be associated with. In the past, we've made some presentations at their Gamma show. Uh, We've won the Gamma Premier Retail Award for 2019. I think we're just going to step back a bit. Well, it's it's a great organization in the capacity of providing a convention for us to go to. For networking. For networking, resourcing. Great for that. But we've as Pork said, not been too impressed with the leadership, per se. Let's talk about the the cool, bright future of Nightwatch. We also have this crazy new business idea called the gauntlet. What what is the gauntlet, babe? Oh, you want me to explain it? Yeah. No, your word, man, you go ahead. You want me to? Okay. Yeah, you're, you're much better at this than I am. The gauntlet is a mashup of the ideas, the best parts of haunted houses, where you're put into an extreme environment and you're made to feel uh, fear and anxiety and uh, your blood gets pumping and you get scared and the sets and the actors are all really well done, but you're in this experience of a haunted house. Uh, We're going to take the best parts of that and we're going to combine it with the best parts of escape rooms in which you are put into a thematic setting and you have to puzzle through a bunch of ciphers and locks and puzzles and different uh, confusing dynamics in order to escape the room within an hour. We're going to take the best elements of that experience and then combine it with live action role-playing where you're dressed up in a costume and you assume a role and you're interacting with other people that are also dressed up and assuming a role known as LARPing. 
but we're going to elevate all those experiences and smash them together so that the customer can come into a building and the building is a full set of a tavern, a marketplace, there's two escape rooms, and then there's the grand adventure past a gateway that you have to get through. The adventure is very much like escape rooms that are linked together, but you're going to be interacting with NPCs that are in those rooms. And occasionally those NPCs are monsters that are attacking you and you are empowered with LARP weapons and armor to attack them back. You actually get to do physical combat against monsters and you can shoot a bow and you can swing your sword and you can throw daggers and it's a, a physical interaction with the environment. So I like to think of it as a haunted house, but you get to fight back. But sometimes you don't want to be fighting. Sometimes you need to talk and use diplomacy and there's a whole world to explore. There's these Hollywood quality sets that you're going to be walking around and there's a whole quest that you're on. And by the end of it, and we're thinking it's about a two hour long adventure, you really walk away feeling heroic. And we're calling it the gauntlet. We have it all written out. It's got a full business plan. And in pure Nightwatch games form, uh, <laughs> we're not really cutting any corners here. We're really trying to make it as cool as possible. Currently, we're looking for investors. So by chance, if there's anybody listening to the podcast that is an angel investor or knows angel investors, please put them in touch with us because we think this is a great idea that needs a little financial boost. Well, let's give our listeners some scale here. Traditionally, an investor pool should remain small to make sure that it stays profitable. And of course, this is a large project. So, I mean, what, what kind of investors are you looking for? Are you looking for people to come up with thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars? Even more than that. The initial idea was small scale, but once we started writing it out and trying to chase the vision, we're now looking at a budget of two to $3 million. Okay. So now we're looking for a small investor pool that can maybe each put forth between 500K and a million dollars? About that. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. all you customers out there who have a rich uncle or you know somebody in the gaming industry, which would be even better because they would probably get us and be able to see our vision a little bit easier than say like just some of the big names here in town like Red McCombs or you know any of the big people that are really known for being not only uh, angel investors, but philanthropists. So we want to try to to reach out to people who get us. Yep. We'll be doing a shout out on social media looking for help. Uh, we'll be hiring actors. And this is going to be a very steady gig. So sometimes actors have to go from one job to another. Mm -hmm. They never know what tomorrow is going to bring. Well, this is going to be a steady gig where you will be playing roles. And we're looking for really quality actors. So you'll be paid accordingly. But we have a lot of other job positions for the gauntlet. Yeah, this is, is going to create careers for 40 to 60 people. Yep. Theater set design, costume design, makeup design. We're going to have a full tavern. So we need uh, a bartender and uh, a chef, line cooks, servers. Yep. 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 So keep ears open for that. It's going to be very cool. So that's the gauntlet, uh, the airsoft team. We want to bring that back up. I think pulling all my airsoft weapons out of the closet and dusting them off and putting them up on the wall has reinvigorated 
that could be. And I could see this extending ourselves into making events, very immersive events where we kit you out in modern warfare, armor and weapons and tools. Yeah. So on that note, if you are, or you know of a landowner that's got maybe, you know, 20 to 30 acres that they would be willing in the off season, the non-hunting season to let us go out there and put on some large scale productions with biodegradable BBs that won't cause a problem for the wildlife won't change the ecosystem in any way, but that'll be something we're going to be looking to rent or lease in the future in the cool weather. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So some cool things happening there. The last thing is when PAX South comes back post pandemic, we have been slotted to be their exclusive retailer. So we're going to host our booth at PAX South and we're going to have a lot of inventory there. I think we're going to emphasize the costuming part. Mm -hmm. So we'll be uh, definitely coming out in a large scale manner, promoting all of our LARPing gear, which seems to be underrepresented at PAX. But we're also going to make sure that our, the inventory that we do bring that's gaming related is not represented elsewhere in PAX. So if you're a manufacturer of a game or a product that you want represented at our booth, and you're not going to have your own venue there at PAX South. We'd be very interested in supporting you and also having your product displayed in our booth. Yeah. So there's a lot more coming down the pipe. It's probably more than we want to just dive into a whole podcast. But the takeaway is that Nightwatch Games is not sitting still and the COVID-19 has not hamstrung us It's actually given us a platform to spring off of and to do some really cool things with it. So we want to extend all our thanks to all the support that has come from the Night Watchers, our family, our friends abroad, and even the governmental institutions out there that are helping small businesses. We really want to thank everybody for that assistance. We are responsibly using it and growing with it. And we hope that you enjoy the fruits of our labor. Any final words, Brenda? Just want to say we truly love each and every one of you. You are uh, our inspiration. You're what keeps us moving and working and trying to make Nightwatch games better. We hope we have these relationships for a long, long time. Well, here's to another four years. Adventure awaits. Adventure awaits.